It is December 4th, 2017, and this is Psychology is Dead in Part 3 of the Top 50 Wrestlers of 2017 special. I'm Quentin Moody. Tim, are you ready to get this over with? Let's do it. Let's finish this. Put a bullet in this year's head, right? And get it over with. All right, so we got 50 to 31 done in the first installment, 30 to 11 done in the second installment, so you should listen to both of those. Um parts because i think especially in that first one we had a really great discussion about travis banks and mark davis and in the second one tim flabbergasted me with not having three certain people on his list but yeah big stories (laughs) big stories this year i think are me and you both i think most excited about our lower 50 guys honestly i think me and you were both super high on a lot of guys that are on that kind of the underneath bubbling up area the middle, I think, was an interesting kind of switch of, of, I wouldn't say doldrums, but guys that we both really enjoy mm-hmm. from areas that we're both not like super following closely. So like, I have a good amount of CWF guys in my middle section. You had none, um, and then you having a, a few more, you know, Japanese indie guys, and then some, I guess Zach Gibson, who's someone who I should uh, have, I guess, somewhere. I guess I'm supposed to have him on my list, right? Um, that just didn't make it for me, and it, it had to do with progress and and that. So, yeah, I think uh, interesting kind of tale, and now we're getting into the top ten. And I don't know about you, but for me, my top ten, I think my biggest issue for why I'm, like, less excited about my top ten than I have been in other years is that a lot of them felt like, um, like, event- like not eventualities. What's the word I'm looking for? Inevitable. Yeah, it felt like a lot of guys that it was just, like, there was – there was nothing that they could do but be in those spaces. Right. I think my top five, where there's just no argument. I think underneath that, there's a little bit of shifting around. For me personally, um, there was guys who I think that I might have some people higher than other people would imagine. But but yeah, I, what, how do you feel about your top ten? I think my top ten is pretty diverse. Uh, maybe a little bit more diverse than uh, last year's, I think. Since I think uh, this this probably encapsulates more of my, I guess my favoritism, so to speak, when it comes to certain people, since I couldn't realistically like make cases for certain guys last year. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it. One thing I did want to ask you though before we got into the top ten, is that looking um in your bottom forty, is there anybody you wish you had higher looking at your list now? Um. So like from fifty to forty in that range. You go from fifty to eleven. Is there anybody that you wish you had higher? I mean, no, nobody. I wish I had higher. Um, maybe some people that I wish. No, I was gonna say maybe some people that I wish I had lower, but I feel good about most of them. I think yeah, I think that I have everybody about where I would want them at, honestly. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way, but I remember. Uh... I don't know, last year I think you might have came away with a couple of regrets, so I, wanted, so I was thinking if you had the same issue this time around, but if there's no regrets and no rearrangements that you would like to make um, in a reevaluation, I guess we should be getting to these top tens. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm definitely into it the way it is, I think. Alright, so you want to lead us off with your um, number ten? My number ten for this year is the bruiserweight Pete Dunn. And I have Pete Dunn higher. Yeah, Pete Dunn higher. Okay, well, let's hear your number 10. All right, my number 10 is the Young Bucks. I didn't get the Young Bucks on my list this year. Um, 
I liked them, but I felt like they really dug into some shtick. They really became a social media presence that I wasn't paying attention to. They did have some great matches. I talked about those Rocky Romero, um, Trent Beretta matches that I thought were great. But I think that their argument for me and the reason that's keeping them on the list, even though I have other tag teams on the list, is that they don't show a lot of diversity this year at all. Um, and by that, I mean they have their, their normal, pretty good juniors tag matches in New Japan. They have their balls-to-the-walls crazy PWG matches. And then the only other stuff that they did this year was um, t- elite trios matches that I didn't care for. Right. So. I think that kept them out. I think last year also they had a really, really fucking nutso final battle ladder match that helped make them onto my list last year. And they didn't have anything like that that stood out this year to get them on, on my list. Um, For me, even though I love the Bucks in the ring, and I do think they had great matches against uh, War Machine, the Briscoes, or Monkey Vice, as you mentioned, uh, the Lucha Brothers, uh, I, I believe the Chosen Bros tag match from Mystery Vortex technically technically came out this year. Um so that oh uh, and we did we did get robbed of some some young bucks matches that we would have uh probably made like some people's match of the year list like them facing South Pacific Power Trip. But even with all that being said about how much I did enjoy them in the ring, I think most of it is just their impact and influence and their uh just effect on the industry as a whole this year. I feel like every single year, the Young Bucks just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And for how much people say the act is getting old, the act is is getting stale, if you look at just the growth in the last three years, like, that argument kind of flies out the window. Um, From the Hot Topic deal, and people be like, oh, Kenny Omega is the star of the group, and that's all fine and good, but Kenny Omega is based in Japan. He lives in Japan, or since most of his time in Japan. The Young Bucks are the guys that are out there brokering deals and um, making contracts and visiting the Hot Topic headquarters and doing all this stuff. So when it comes to that, the Young Bucks are the reason why that is going on. The being the elite stuff and um, what's going on there, this um, the all-in stuff and people actually believing that they can go out there and draw 10,000 fans. The Bullet Club actually just getting bigger and bigger and bigger this year. And again, I get it. Like, when someone is the leader or quote-unquote leader of the Bullet Club, they're going to be given uh, more credit than the people that they view as being under. And I think for the last five, not five years, what am I saying, um, two years or so, that the Young Bucks have actually been the most imp- important part of Bullet Club as far as expanding it, making it, world ri- making it worldwide, and making it more than just some, I don't know, NWO DX parody. They are now making the Bullet Club their own its own brand. I'm not giving them solely the credit. Obviously, Kenny Omega deserves credit. Cody deserves a lot of credit. But I think the Young Bucks and how long they've been doing it, and that the fact they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and keep doing more numbers and generating more buzz, and it's getting more and more clear that they really don't need WWE. These guys are like the embodiment that you can work two pretty major promotions work indies um some semi-regularly do whatever else make a great living and not only that become a viable number two as your own entity not even involving those promotions there's a reason why they're saying bullet club elite 
can run a 10,000 seat arena. And that's because they're bigger than Ring of Honor. They're bigger than New Japan. They're bigger than all these things. Bullet Club has a life of its own. And I think the Young Bucks are the main fo- main um factor in that, honestly. I love their attitude. I love what they are seemingly doing. I agree with you in a lot of ways on the stuff that you said, but I think it's put up or shut up time, and it's time to kind of see if it's all bluster, honestly, because they haven't done it. I mean, you can say that they're bigger than ROH, but, I mean, the Bullet Club themselves, the Bullet Club elite, whatever, haven't really drawn the biggest ROH's house. I mean, they're, they're just drawing the houses that, that ROH does when they're in ROH. And then I don't think they're really helping draw too much in New Japan specifically. Uh, you could say that they're both the Young Bucks, I mean, especially the Young Bucks, are the main reason that, that PWG is as hot as it is. But um, PWG has thousands of theoretically sellable tickets without any like idea of how many tickets really would sell if you could just let them go off on that. So I agree with where you're coming from. I love their attitude. I love everything they're doing. But I think that some of it is kind of overblown. We'll see. We'll see where it comes down. But uh, but I am interested to see. Now, my number nine, I think there's a chance you have him higher, is Tetsuya Naito. You have Naito a little bit higher. Okay. So let's go for number eight. Uh, my number or I guess you're number nine. Yeah, number nine is a guy you have think had 11 on the second part my number nine is trevor lee yeah i did have him number 11 so all right so let's uh yeah you can go ahead on hash out trevor yeah you want me to go for it yeah Mm -hmm. i guess because i haven't said anything so far um a big part of trevor's entire argument is just cwf i think Uh, i talked about it on the last show like why uh why did he drop so much this year from number one for me to number 11? And it really came down to, I mean, partially it was probably on me for not paying attention to um, TNA, his TNA work as much as I did last year and not paying attention to his AAW work as much as last year. But I also think he was minimized in PWG. Um, he was He got around a lot less this year in Europe. I feel like he actually did a few more matches in Europe last year. Um, this year he did have a pretty good match with Trent Seven in RPW. Um, I did really love his match with Jack Stane in Wrestle Circus. Uh, might be one of my favorite Wrestle Circus matches. Um, he was still definitely a star in PWG, but he felt like he was very much minimized in his importance. Um, but meanwhile, to me, I think a lot of shows he was having best matches on the shows. Uh, matches with the best storylines, matches with the best kind of crowd heat and reactions. Um, so yeah, that was kind of kind of his whole thing. Um, weird match on Evolution with Malcolm Maxwell, Jacob Feinstein for the uh, CZW Wired title. Um, that show and all was kind of disappointing, but uh, especially that match, I felt that he didn't really stand out um, as having a super good match with a guy like MJF who's getting a lot of praise right now for being so young you'd think that they could pull something off together but i didn't think it was quite there um not much of a bowler run this year compared to last year which i think helped make his case a lot um for me last year i felt like he really was the the most important guy in the bowler even without winning the tournament um it felt like uh he was the only heel that was getting any heat he was kind of telling the stories that kept a narrative throughout all the way until the end of the tournament so 
Um, having him not be that involved in it this year uh, hurt. Um, and again, like I said, the AAW, I picked, a, I saw a few things here and there. Um, this new wrestling stable that they're putting together with him and, and David Starr, and I believe someone else who I can't remember at the Jeff moment. Cobb. I think it's Jeff Cobb. Um, seems interesting to me, but I haven't really seen much to know what I think of it so far. Um, but again, what it really comes down to is CWF. Um, in CWF, he is the man. Um, he had probably one of the best Rumble matches of all time, defending his title. Um, in it from number one all the way to number 30. Uh, solid tag team showings, either teaming with Chet Sterling or with uh, uh, Chip Day. Both matches fantastic. Um, great match with Nick Richards. I loved. I think a lot of people weren't as into story. Great storyline stuff. You could really put him in there with anyone from you know Otto Swans to Kane Justice, and he's you know the the variance and the level of uh, experience there is kind of monumental. But he'll still be able to deliver really solid matches that tell totally different stories. And and he just he's the man there, and he really comes across like the ace of the company, the most important guy in the company. Big deal, but. Like I said, I just think what hurt him this year is last year he probably had just as good, if not slightly better showing in CWF itself. But on the other side of it, he also, I think, had a lot more to his resume, be it AAW, TNA, and, uh, and PWG last year, and then also including WXW. Um, I think he wrestled some other matches over in Europe, but I'm not remembering off the top of my head right now. So, yeah, I think that's just kind of what hurt him this year comparatively. Uh, yeah, that's really it. And why Trevor is at my number nine and not my number two is that even if I think his CWF work is just as strong, if not if just like a little bit weaker than it was last year's, then with last year, his work in other places just is not as good. Um PWG, I don't think he had anything as good as his um Trevor Lee match last year, or I mean as Trevor Lee match as a Zack Saber Jr. match last year, or his Kamatachi match, um or anything as good as the Bola final from last year. Um, I don't think in AW he had anything as good as the Chris Hero match. He has nothing notable in Europe. Um, in Nova Pro he did have that pretty good match against Sanjay Dutt that I really liked. I haven't seen any Impact Wrestling, so I can't speak to that reign. So all we have to go off of is CWF, and while that was going to be the majority of his case anyway, it's it, it helps to have that other stuff to go off of. And I've loved everything he's done this year. I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, I, the Trevor Lee stuff has kind of fell off the road for them. I don't know. I still love it. I count the Brett Attitude match of 2017. So um, between that, Alex Daniels match, the Michael Elgin match, the Nick Richards match, um... The six-man scramble uh, with Swans, Justice, Day, Eric Andrews, uh, Smith Garrett, and whoever else. Uh, the match with Eric Andrews that was really damn good and smart. Uh, a match with Mecha Mercenary that I really liked. I'm a really short match with uh, Ethan Sharp that I thought was great. You mentioned a tag match. Uh, Trevor Lee and Chip Day, I believe, versus Roy Wilkins and Eric Royal. That was really good. But yeah, like... I mean, all this stuff is great and awesome, and Trevor Lee is still one of the best storytellers in wrestling, one of the best match-to-match psychologists in wrestling, um, in the focal point of maybe the best Rumble match in wrestling history. Um, so I can still say all this about this guy, but everywhere else is just not as good as it was last year, and that really hurts his case. 
Yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, so, yeah, that was your number nine, yeah, right? Yeah, nine. Okay, and I, I already did my nine. So my number eight, I can't remember. I think you said it earlier, maybe. Shuji Ichikawa? I had Shuji at 22. Okay. So for me, I think a big part of Shuji's year this year, last year we talked about him being the ace of the indies in Japan, um, which really helped his case. This year he became like kind of leveled up big dog for all Japan, um, carrying the uh, triple count title for a good amount of time, um, having a lot of really great matches uh, essentially everywhere. Um really starts to feel like a like a like a big time deal only in all japan um so yeah just i i really loved the the title victory itself against uh miyahara uh loved the suwama match for what it was um really good uh, you know picks up some decent stuff here and there in ddt especially the uh the match against higuchi i thought was really good for starting to kind of break higuchi out as as like the underneath him giant guy, the next big thing for them. Um, amazing stuff in the Champions Carnival. I really, yeah, I think for me, he was probably the the star of the Champions Carnival, honestly. Most of his matches I thought were fantastic. Um, loved the match with Nomura. Match with Bodyguard I thought was great. Uh, match with uh, Hashimoto was fantastic. The Suwama match uh, was he, really good. Which one? The Suwama match. Yes, Suwama mm-hmm. match. Um both Suwama matches, honestly, I've, I've yeah. really, really liked this year. Um, he just, yeah, he just leveled up this year. Essentially, he did, he was very much the same as last year, uh, performance-wise, but just really focused in all Japan and really kind of taking it from indie star to big-time star um, of, you know, a company with that history and that kind of cachet, even if all Japan isn't considered that big as it used to be, it did. It did to me feel like he became a bigger, more important star throughout, while still delivering in the ring phenomenally. And there's just uh, there's something about the uh, the size and the look and everything about him that you can't teach. But he gets the most out of it. You know, he really is able to take advantage of all that he naturally has going for him, and then make it into even bigger character, bigger. Bigger matches, bigger kind of imposing structure to himself and just everything. So, uh, yeah, that's why uh, I got Shuji here so high. Um, I just feel like probably to me outside of New Japan, he was the most important wrestler of the year. Um, and the, the, the wrestler who felt like the biggest star and then felt like, uh, he you know, he works like he's the best wrestler in the world. So um, that really, you know, on the lower levels, I think that means a lot to help kind of add uh, credence and, and add some credibility to that title. Um, I agree that he's definitely transformed himself into feeling more important. I think, though, I guess in the reality, he wasn't that big of a part of Big Japan this year. In DDT, I don't think he was as big of a part either. So really, what we're going off of is him um, for him as a top guy is All Japan, as opposed to last year where you could go um, Big Japan, him winning the... Um, King of DDT, him main eventing uh, the Sumo Hall show for DDT, him winning the um, Strong Title, um, Strong Climb Tournament, um, and all that. Um, so while I think his matches are just as good as they were last year, uh, I really, really love the um, second Kento match in particular. I think, the, I think the Jake Lee match is awesome, and he has a whole bunch of other great stuff. 
I think that he just had a little bit more last year in terms of in-ring. And he does have a lot more star presence in 2017. That's no doubt that goes along with just um getting himself in better shape and getting the new gear and growing out the facial hair. So he just looks cooler and more legitimate. But I don't know. He just had more matches um this year, um, last year to me than this year. And that's what kind of caused him to drop off a little bit. Yeah, I can definitely see that. For me, it was, like I said, it was focus and higher profile, it felt like, with similar level of work but i can definitely see the trade-off if you if you kind of make a a really you find it very important to have a lot of variance and a lot of uh i guess yeah like being able to show that in different places and just more output in general i can definitely see that all right and that was your eight yeah that was my number eight all right and my eight is fred yay high uh i had fred at number 15 um Last year I didn't have Fred on my list, and that was because even though I loved the way he wrestles and I thought that he was maybe the best guy in Evolve last year, um, everything he did just kind of felt inconsequential. It felt like it didn't matter. It didn't matter what Freddie Ahai was doing or the matches he was having or if he won or lost. Just he was a guy out there having matches. And this year, I think it changed. Um, watching more of the WWN family, I think, definitely um, changed my perception of him. Because I was watching more FIP and style, ba- style battles, so seeing how he worked in those environments. where he's Yeah, RIP Flow Slam. Huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if but... it wasn't for Flow Slam, Fred would barely have a case this year, honestly. Oh, that is definitely true. Although he did start showing up in Nova Pro, and apparently he had a really good match with Shane Strickland at AEW. So hopefully he just gets out more um, in 2018. But watching him in FIP have great matches against Teddy Stigma and Brian Cage and Joey Janela, like, you know, that's going to boost your, boost his case. The style battle stuff and seeing him face guys like uh, Tracer X and Anthony Henry and get the, get the best out of those guys. Working in Evolve and having great matches with Keith Lee and DJ Z and... Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and everybody and Walter, which I got to see live, which was fucking awesome. Um, Fred Yehai was the MVP of an entire company, I think. And not just an entire company, like three separate brands. And I think that is a huge um, upgrade from what uh, from what um, I thought his role was last year. And granted, I think he was FIP champ last year too, and I just wasn't watching that stuff. But as I have eyes on it now and I, as I've seen it and I've seen him have these great matches everywhere um, all across the WWN family, he was the MVP of WWN and that is very valuable to me on top of having uh, great matches whenever he shows up in Nova Pro, especially that Gresham match. Uh, we mentioned hopefully seeing that part two of the Gresham feud series, whatever, very soon, whenever that goes up in Powerbomb TV. But yeah, I love Fred Yehi. Uh, Unique offense, looks brutal, it can be slick, it can be smart, it can be dangerous, he can be uh, underdog babyface, um, being fiery and being sympathetic, or he can control the match and be a commanding heel. Fred Yehi can do anything, he can do tag matches, uh, open the show, be the main eventer, uh, just a very like invaluable guy. And if WWN didn't have him, didn't have him their year, would be very, very, very different from a quality standpoint. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the Fred Yehi mm-hmm. argument comes down a lot to 
like you talk about MVP, MVP star champion of all of these different promotions under the WWE umbrella umbrella with different positions on all the cards, champion in FIP, um, you know, heavyweight champion, tag champion in Evolve, style battle, really kind of the star of style battle unofficially with it being a tournament style that's not supposed to have the same people. He continuously showed up and had great matches. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing. But I think another part of his case, as you talked about it, is he's the he's the great match guy. He's the best match guy. He's the guy that I think probably has more people's best matches and more people who you wouldn't <laughs> like you kind of um have to applaud him from getting such good matches out of for the year you talk about teddy stigma i'd say teddy stigma's best match that i've seen this year uh i would say the evolve 77 ach match that was that was either that or the desperado um best of the super juniors match was my favorite ach match of the year so oh, Kyle you know Ra- that's Kyle Riley from evolve 83 i'm just looking at my so i was gonna say yeah yeah, Kyle O'Reilly's best indie match of the year. You know, um, Brian Cage's best match of the year. The style battle match with Tracer X, I say my favorite Tracer X match of the year. It'd be tough to say his best match for sure, but I think it belongs in that conversation. Um, Thatcher, Thatcher from Evolve 78 might not be most people's pick for pick for best Thatcher match, but it's up there really high. Yeah, it might actually be Thatcher's best Evolve match. I would say that you know, his matches with um, Zack Sabre Jr. are some of... Zack Sabre Jr.'s best Evolve matches of the year. Uh, the match with Desmond Xavier was probably one of Dez's best matches of the year. Uh, you know, the guy just, he really brings the most out of everyone. Let's say the match with John Kerman in Nova Pro. Uh, John Kerman's a guy who, if he got out more than Nova Pro, I think he'd probably be on both of our lists, or at least on mine. But Fred Yehi had a phenomenal match with him. So um, I say Jaka, like honestly, probably Jaka's best non-tag team match of the year in Evolve. Um, the guy is just, I mean, he just gets the most out of everyone. The, the style battle match with Jarek 120, probably Jarek's best match of the year. Like, yeah, he just knocks it out of the park every time. Um, and just has these phenomenal matches with everyone he's against. And he's shown this year that he can do storyline stuff. He really kind of brought a lot more into his character wise with the breakup from Catchpoint. Um, and actually showing some emotions and having match-to-match storylines continuing on, uh, growing and, and kind of getting even better as a character. It's just uh, super impressive. Definitely needs to get out more and not just be in the WWN sphere, especially now that WWN is dying, kind of. Uh, just saw him have a great match the other day with Anthony Henry in PWX. Um, yeah, the guy is just uh, – he's just – He's really fucking good. I think, you know, I had him at 15. I think some of that comes with, I think that uh, he just didn't have a lot, a lot of output this year. Um, But early in the year, I mean, he was on my list as number one, number two wrestler of the year up until about, you know, May or or April. Um, And then he started to fall off when some other guys just started to put together more and more work. So, yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you on that. Um, That was your number eight, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, my number seven. I think you might. You, I think you'd have to have him higher at this point because you haven't said him yet. Is David Starr? I had David Starr at sixteen. Okay, I would have thought you had him higher for some reason. Um, so David Starr, I think. Um, it's tough to say. He might be the best wrestler on the planet, and I just don't. I just don't realize it. Um, a phenomenal babyface everywhere. 
including WXW. Um, the you start out the year, he's got a little bit of his shotgun title run left, um, which just produces, I mean, match after match. That's just great. Um, from there, uh, loses the shotgun title, kind of starts off, continues on his feud with Walter. Um, huge storyline, honestly, probably one of the best rivalries, storylines, whatever you want to call it, going in wrestling right now is David Starr versus Walter. Um, amazing moments from every match. Um, just solid, hard-hitting action in every match. Um, really fucking great match with Big Grizzly in IPW, um, which is like I kind of I kind of like Big Grizzly, but I didn't see him as that good. And then the David Starr match just brings it out. He has this. He has this amazing ability to make everyone come across more athletic. He really feels to just bring it out of them. Um, nasty fucking match with Josh Bodum over WrestleMania weekend that looked like it broke down into a shoot, uh, and then that just plays into another side of his 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 just dangerous moments. Um, feuding with Janela, feud with Sammy Callahan, kind of in beyond is where this stuff comes out. But in that in that match with Bodum, it felt like it came out too, where he just won't take shit. It looked like he got stiffed a little bit, and then he came back, and it was just kind of scary. Um, but in Beyond, he has a lot of these moments that come across like just fucking nasty, brawling, bloody, wild, crazy, fiery. Just like he gets those crazy eyes. He gets he's wild-eyed Southern boy, which is another thing I don't really think of as David Starr is, I guess, technically from the South. Um, is he from Georgia or where is he from? I don't know if he was from Jersey. No, he's from Pennsylvania. He's from, he's from Philly. Yeah. For some reason I thought he was from the South, but he's got that shooter background and he's got that crazy uncontrollableness to him that just comes out sometimes and capped off with an insane death match against Nick Gage just recently that really showed that off. But he can go from crazy death match psychopath with guys like that to tagging with Jern Simmons. Uh, reprising the juicy product a little bit here and there with uh, JT Dunn having totally different styles of tag matches. Um, And then also he can go from that to grappling. He can have hard-hitting Terry Rudge, Fit Finley-style match with Martin Stone. Um, The guy really can do it all. He gets over doing all of it. The crowd is always in love with him. Um, I am going to be interested to see how this AAW thing goes as it seems like he's supposed to be playing a heel there. Um, so I would like to see how that goes because he's just become such a natural baby face. I do remember, you know, Juicy Product, he was technically, I guess, kind of a heel, but they didn't really come across super heelish to me. So I'd like to see now that he's really developed even more um, what he's going to be like as a as a heel uh, in like kind of a single, not a single setting, but, you know, as the leader of a group there in AAW. So, so yeah, I just um, – his, his – his kind of argument is made on variety. He's a real world traveler in current wrestling. He's all over the place. He wrestles. He's truly independent star. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, the, the tail end of that shotgun title run this year, um, showing like that he's able to go around everywhere and make that title feel like a big deal and just add to the legitimacy of the title. Um, it was a big deal. And then, uh, yeah, I think, uh, that's a big part of it on top of just being like, insanely good which is another big part of his uh his case this year i'm gonna make like a weird comparison that may not sound that may not make a lot of sense at first but i feel like 
2017 kind of proved that David Starr is sort of Akira Tozawa-ish. What I mean by that is when Akira Tozawa first came back to Dragon Gate, he was firmly a heel. But even when he's a heel um, um, in Blood Generation um, and eventually forming Mad Blanky, you always got the impression that, like, you know, I really, really like this guy. He's, like, doing bad, horrible things. He can do evil things and is really good at it. But deep down, you want to root for him. And I think that's what it showed me in Neighbor Stars 2017 is that even though he was an outright babyface for a lot of the year, there were places where he was being a heel. And even now in WXW, it kind of seems like they're going to turn him heel, I think. Um, that's a theory I've been having for about a week now, that David Starr might be turning heel soon. So we'll see how that goes. And one of my fears is that David Starr is going to be primarily a heel in places now. Um, in RevPro, Defiant... Um, obviously AAW, possibly beyond uh, WXW, and that kind of scares me because David Starr really is one of those guys that's maybe the best babyface in wrestling. Um, we talk about it with like Kyle Fletcher and uh, Mark Andrews and Kyrie Hojo and other people like that, and David Starr is right up there too. And it just kind of scares me that we possibly might see David Starr just go full heel in, 20, in 2018. Granted, all that being said... Um, Great tag match worker. Uh, the match um, with Yaron Simmons against Rinkoff at Dead End is the second best tag match I've seen this year. Um, the massive product uh, run in the World Tag League, specifically the uh, A4 match in the finals with Rinkoff. Uh, great singles matches against Walter, um, Joey Janela, other people all around the world, and just consistently delivering, even if it's not... The best match on the show was like it's at worst a second best, and sometimes and oftentimes it's the match of the night. Um, main event, opening card, trio, um, fatal four ways, triple threats, uh, CZW having good matches against David. I mean against um Zack Saber Jr. and Matt Riddle. This guy can do everything, and. I don't know. It kind of worries me that 2018, we're going to maybe see less of him doing everything in favor of having one um, specific direction. But in 2017, you can't you can't fault David Starr um, anywhere, honestly, because the man did it all. And uh, yeah, his variety case is up there with um, the top with the top guys on the list. Yeah, I mean, that's it. The guy variety wise, I think. He just needs to maybe break through somewhere in America or somewhere in Japan in a bigger kind of stage. And I think um, the sky's the limit for the dude really right now and just a phenomenal, phenomenal worker. Um, All right, so what is your number seven? My number seven is a man you just mentioned, but my number seven is the bruiserweight Pete Dunne. All right, so I had Pete at number ten. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and let you talk about him, huh? Or do you want me to go for it? Yeah, I'll go on, Pete. Um, All right. Even with how um, annoying a lot of the British Strong Style stuff could be, uh, I feel like Pete Dunne really did go above and beyond to become the, one of the best heels in wrestling. 
he may not be the best as a total package. Um, I mean, going all across the world or whatever. But um, when he's in progress and he's on his A game, when he's in NXT and on his A game or in the um, UK tournament and on his A game, I'm not sure there's a better heel in the world than Pete Dunne. From his nastiness, his scowling, his working over a limb, I don't think anybody does it better than Pete Dunne. And whether it was facing Tyler Bate or facing Sam Grodwell, people like a guy people don't care about, or um, uh, God, who do you face in the first round? Roy Johnson, uh, facing Mark Andrews, uh, Jack Sexsmith, uh, beating up Omari, Aussie Open, Travis Banks, uh, Ryan Smile. He just does it all, and I get it that. The British Strong Style stuff could have been executed much, 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 much better. But I think in in terms of importance, output, and just overall character work, that Pete Dunne just put together a phenomenal year. And at 24 years old, I don't think this guy can be denied in 2018 as being like becoming one of the bigger stars in all of WWE. Yeah, I mean, I did a podcast with Jamesy arguing him making it on the greatest WWE wrestler of all time with, like, what, like, ten matches, maybe? Um, Because everything has been insanely high quality. He has had issues with the British Strong Style stuff. It's primarily in progress, sometimes with the trios matches in Fight Club and um, OTT and maybe Attack. But at the same time, he comes in and will have lights out, knock drag out performances with mark andrews every time uh great match with yoshihashi and Riv pro um talk about the uk tournament all the, all those matches um the matt seidel match in progress or in pwg unfortunately was the only match that i got to see him live this year and it was not great um i guess technically it was last year but it probably came out this year right um Let's see what else. I mean, what else does he have? Uh, that match with Osprey that we that I mentioned in the Osprey talk that came out of nowhere in attack for the for their bullshit title was phenomenal. The way he put over Travis Banks for the Fight Club Pro Championship this year, kind of ending a year long or even longer great storyline there. Um, you know, some of his progress title stuff. The matches would be good until the finishes. The trios matches usually sucked and were too long. Um, but still, I mean, the tag match, the one tag time tagging with uh, Sammy Callahan against the the Lucha Brothers was phenomenal. Um, he could still beat the shit out of any rookie better than anybody else in wrestling. He's he's really even with his young age, he's kind of like the the grumpy old vet of the UK scene. Even at his age, uh, he he really it's kind of interesting because the UK scene is it's a mix of of really really young guys who have different levels of experience it seems there isn't even a lot of the older generation guys left around so someone like pete dunn really carries the banner of the of the scene as being the vet which is just kind of fucking weird um but he carries it very well and comes across like uh like just an unbeatable ass kicker um had probably one of the best matches of the year at takeover against tyler Bate. um I think some people argue that's not even his best match with Tyler Bate, which is super impressive. Um, so we'll see going forward where we end up with him. Um, because if he keeps, stays serious and gets pushed more seriously in WWE, yeah, I think next year we could be having him in the uh, 
the top of the list conversation, the you know number one, number two, which uh, is kind of close to where I had him last year. Unfortunately, he fell back down this year for me just because of a lot of that kind of goofing around and missing in action stuff. Um, and looking um, at my uh, match of the year doc, there is something I like, forgot to mention. Uh, the no DQ match against Jimmy Havoc at Chapter 45 that I really like. Um, the triple threat with Mark Haskins and Mark Andrews from Chapter 48 that I thought was really good. So... I don't know, like, every time every time he showed up, I thought he was great. And here's the thing is that even for how cringeworthy a lot of the British Strong Style stuff was, especially in their reign of tyranny and progress, they had really good matches sometimes, too. Um, the, Drag- the Dragon Gate six-man was really good. The six-man against uh, CCK and progress was really good. The ring comp one in particular was really great. So it's not like they don't have other really good, great matches. Um, even as recently as Chapter 57 against uh, Grizzle Young Vets and Joseph Connors, that was a really good, awesome, wild brawl. So I think uh, me maybe being a little higher on those matches is why Pete Dunne kind of increased is because I guess he did, ha- he did have great trios matches to boast, even if a lot of them kind of uh, fell below par for me. Yeah, I can see that because he did, he did definitely have a, some more variety this year than he did last year in that regard. So I'll give you that. Um, so that was your number seven. Yeah, seven. Okay, my number six is Jeff Cobb. And I had Jeff Cobb at twenty-one. Okay, so I mean, obviously, part of it is he wrestles a style that I love. Uh, he's got this great grappler, but he's also super strong, and he can actually pull off some really insane flying high spots for a guy his size. Um, but, I mean, this year to me, he was a just a delivery machine. The guy came through everywhere, and he wrestled everywhere. Um, he is probably, I mean, that's why I think I have him just above David Starr's, I think he's just as much of a world traveler as David Starr this year. Um, he was all over the place, and I don't think he had a match that I think dropped below three stars that I saw. I mean, everyone that he wrestled, he was always delivering solid three to higher. I mean, some of his matches I have almost as close to five stars um, because he's just amazing. He knows how he knows his character. He plays his character well. Um, he obviously has some of the stuff from Lucha Underground. I don't, I don't even care to account for it, but it just shows his depth of character, but his ability to come in, just exude this just wild, crazy beast. Um, then he can get in there, depending on the situation, he can sell, he can be vulnerable. He can fight from underneath with big time fire. He can be domineering and dominant. He can... He can really do it all, and he can do it with every different kind of opponent. Um, he could go from, you know, Ricochet, ACH, uh, Desmond Xavier types, any of those, like, smaller flying guys, Shane Strickland, or he can wrestle Drew Galloway, Keith Lee. Um, I'm trying to think of people that are bigger than him, and it's tough to think of people that are bigger than him. Jax Dane, which I thought was a fucking phenomenal match um, for him. Walter, and, uh, you know, he can just, like, kill it ambition uh tournament was the biggest thing for me this year honestly the what i loved the most i think in that one night show 
uh, probably my show of the year if I could pick it to be that. And he had two of my favorite matches on it, one against Walter, one against Timothy Thatcher. Um, honestly, the Thatcher match was probably my favorite match on there. But he also had another amazing Thatcher match in Evolve earlier in the year um, that I thought was just as good. Uh, the tagging with Riddle stuff, the wrestling Riddle stuff. Um, probably I think him tagging with Riddle is when I like Matt Riddle the most. Um, there's something about Jeff Cobb's kind of character and what he exudes and his, to me, he has that likability that I feel that Riddle lacks for me personally. Well, I know everyone else really loves Riddle. To me, he just comes across kind of like a douchebag, but in the setting with Jeff Cobb, it's kind of this infectious, it makes him less douchey because he's got a friend. It makes me feel like, well, at least I know there's one person that actually likes him, and at least I know he cares about one person in the world other than himself. So it does kind of add to his likability for me. So um, he's got that in the tag team where he humanizes Matthew Riddle for me. Uh, I talked about that match with James Drake that I just thought was a phenomenal match. Uh, great sprints, hard-hitting action. Um, I've loved his current gimmick of busting his nose open in every match. It's been a highlight of most of his matches for me. Um, phenomenal match with Pete Dunne for the Progress World title this year. Uh, great match with Willie Mack and Bar Wrestling. Um, great match with Trent and PWG. Eddie Kingston match in AAW. Fantastic. And he can do these matches back to back. The Sammy Guevara match. Sammy Guevara match that's like the fucking sprint of the year um, where he got this kid over in like a few minutes without him barely doing any offense, but he still makes him look great, uh, killing him. And yeah, like I said, he can go. He can go from wrestling Walter to wrestling, I don't know, Rey Mysterio Jr. And he can have phenomenal matches with both. Totally different. But the thing is, is he's always Jeff Cobb. You always believe that he's playing himself. The Portsmouth Rev Pro match with Mike Bailey was fucking great. The match with Joey Janela and AAW was great. Um, yeah, I just... He was, to me, he was the star of Bola, realistically. Um, I loved the match with Sammy Callahan. The match with Matt Riddle, Sammy Guevara, and then in the finals, I started to buy into him. I really believed in him, and I wanted him to win the whole goddamn thing. Because, uh, yeah, I think that he really, to me, he had the best matches in Bola. I'm just going to put that out there. Out of anyone, I don't think anyone came close to having all of their matches be as good as his matches were. Um, so, yeah, I just, I love the guy. I've been in love with him for a while now, but I just have to profess it to the entire internet. Um I think that he is your guy. I talked. I think I talked um, earlier. I can't remember who it was. Who was essentially in every tournament. I think like Janela has been in like every tournament this year. Um, just he shows up in all of them. But I think that your MVP of most tournaments is always Jeff Cobb. Um, I think he's a guy that if you're booking a tournament style situation, you should definitely put him in there. And it just goes to show uh, in the World Tag League, which is usually, I mean, not usually. It, it's always the most boring fucking tour of the year for New Japan. Uh, he's breathed a lot of life in there, uh, tagging with Michael Elgin. I think it's really a toss-up between them and best friends as being the best thing on the tournament. Um, and that really just goes almost 100% for Jeff Cobb's credit there compared to Elgin. I mean, not to say Elgin's that bad, but, you know, uh, he's uh, he's definitely not the reason why I'm super excited. And then their match together with the best friends and against Elgin and Cobb was just fucking crazy good. Um, so, yeah, it's just... Uh, I think he's a guy who might be a little bit underappreciated for how good he is by a lot of people, but to me, I just uh, I think he's like hands down just one of the best workers out there right now. Um, just kills it every night, and yeah, I just I can't uh, I don't think I can say enough about him, honestly. 
Uh, yeah, this was a year where I think it finally just all clicked with Jeff Cobb for me. Uh, great match after great match after great match. Um, I know I know some people think he doesn't really have any personality, and I think he comes across as one of the coolest people on every show that he's on. Uh, I love the grappling style. I love his brand of grappling with the power, um, how you can overpower guys and also be slick on the mat. Um and work really smartly uh i think you didn't mention the tag stuff well the tag match um with thatcher against uh catch point in january and then uh thatcher versus Cobb the following night was really good uh but everything you would said uh jeff Cobb, i thought just put it all together this year and this is even without watching any lucha underground so i don't know how he was doing as matanza but yeah, there's nothing more to say about Jeff Cobb this year other than I think he firmly made me a believer and that it wasn't all potential anymore and that this guy really is the real deal and that he is deserving of every single opportunity he gets because he's busted his ass and has perfected his craft. Yeah, I think he's at that point now where I think he could just he can do it night in, night out. I think he really he's kind of got the psychology side completely down because I think, like you said, I think last year I may have been higher on him than than a lot of people and probably even higher than he deserved. But I think this year he's really shown that he's he's really putting it together. He's figured the whole game out because you have to understand wrestling pretty well to be a guy who, like I said, I mean, he doesn't have less than three-star matches and he goes out against anyone any night and always has a lights-out, show-stealing type of, type of match. All right, and that was six. That was my six, yeah. Okay. Um, my number six, someone you just mentioned earlier, but my number six is Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, I had him at number nine. And uh, that may even just come from the fact that I don't watch enough New Japan. But uh, I guess uh, I'll let you tell me about Tetsuya Naito this year. Uh, I don't think he's been the best guy in New Japan this year like I thought he was last year. Coincidentally, this might be exactly the same spot where he was last year on my list. I'm not sure. I have to check. But Naito is still Naito, and Naito is going to have great matches every single time out with a lot of guys. Um, I saw a lot, saw a lot of people say they were getting tired of Naito's gimmick, and I'm like, there's really only been two years of this, and I think he's actually changed up the gimmick a lot from how it first started. Um, when the Los Angeles gimmick first started... It was very reliant on interference and cheating and bullshit finishes and all that. And as time has gone on, it, it's pretty much gotten completely away from that. And I think that's made Naito's matches better. Obviously, the Tanahashi stuff people love. I really liked the um, the Wrestle Kingdom match and the uh, G1 match. don't really care for the Dominion match. I really, really love uh, Naito versus Elgin from New Beginning in Osaka. I thought... Naito versus Juice Robinson for the Intercontinental, Intercontinental title was really good. I think even when he loses the title, he has great stuff in the G1. Uh, in the G1 and long uh, in the New Japan and the Long Beach shows, having a great match with Ishii. Having another great match with Ishii at uh, King of Pro Wrestling. And overall, you know, just one of the more popular guys in the, in the promotion. Uh... A lot of people always go back and forth on who's the most popular guy in New Japan, and I, don't, I really don't think it's that important to single like single out one guy as being that 
important or the most popular or whatever, since everybody has their own areas in which they thrive in. But Naito was still the number one merch seller in New Japan, has been for two years, and that doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. Uh, he, he seems to be growing and growing and getting hotter than he even was in 2016. And um, so having a lot of great matches and seemingly becoming an even bigger star than he already was means Naito like keeps his spot in the top 10 to me. There was no reason to drop him out if he was just as good in the ring last year and is possibly becoming an even bigger draw. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all completely fair. I think, uh, when you talk about the gimmick kind of devolving conversation is definitely not fair. I think he's actually grown and and done it, added a lot of wrinkles to it. I, you talk about the Ingobernables gimmick and the interference. I think there's also, um, a change in his demeanor. The one thing that I always point out is his, his spit. He uses the spitting as, as his opponents as more of a tactic now than he used to. Um, I think he used to really use that as just like a disrespectful thing, but now a lot of times he uses it to draw people out. He uses it as a smart place to uh, to kind of get the the get his opponents pissed off and coming at him. Um, and there's a lot more of that in his wrestling as a whole. Um, I thought that he was really great in the G1 this year, in kind of I wouldn't say an off year, but a year that wasn't quite as good as it has been in the past few years in the G1. I thought that he told solid stories all the way through. Um, I think that him coming down and winning it made sense this year. Um, he's always the most over guy when he's outside of Japan. Uh, be it, you know, I mean, the, the, the Bullet Club in Long Beach was obviously the biggest thing there, but New Japan, or ROH shows... Uh, Rev Pro shows he's always the biggest fucking deal to the crowds there. And yeah, I think his Intercontinental title run has been booked and, and worked really well for him. He's had great matches with Elgin, Juice Robinson. Love the match with Punishment Martinez on War of the Worlds. I think a lot of people started to take Punishment seriously after that match. And before that, he was kind of being treated like a joke. Um, the Ishii match for the United States uh, title tournament was not... Um, their best match, but that's still not saying that's terrible because those two have had fucking phenomenal matches before. Um, yeah, I mean, he made a pretty sizable leap for me this year. I think he was around 2019 last year. Uh, he makes his way up to number nine, uh, just because of essentially being the number three guy in the biggest, you know, company in Japan. And meanwhile, also, um, being, uh, just really starting to click and, and get it in a way that, like I said, it's, Similar to Cobb, but uh, a little bit more kind of at that point where he, he's on he's on autopilot, it seems. Um, it seems like he can just deliver in the ring in great matches without even trying at this point. That's how that's how well he kind of understands everything about wrestling so far. Um, that was your number six, so I'll go into my number five. Right. Um, I'm going to assume you have him higher. I think you know that you have him higher already. Uh, is Kazuchika Okada. Yep, have him higher. So we'll get to that later. All right. So let's hear your number five. My number five is Kenny Omega. I have him at number four. So let's just talk about him now for both of us. How's that sound? All right. Go ahead. Okay. So Kenny Omega is, um, I don't know. He's like an old blanket for me. He's a comfy sweater that I've had since I was a kid. Um, we talked about it last year. Uh, seeing him break out and start to get respected um, and how cool that is for people like us who have been 
on his chalk on his game for so long. But in 2017, he almost became a different fucking Kenny Omega. Even for me, someone who's like watched him for years, I'm I get impressed by him more and more almost every time I see him out there. Um, starts out the year with the 18 star classic against Okada. Um, the greatest match in the history of wrestling, according to Dave Meltzer. Um, I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but it was I thought it was pretty damn good. Um, he turns around and a couple weeks later has a match against Tiger Ali that like maybe us and 10 other people watched, um, except for the people that were live in the building. That was just fucking phenomenally great work against this young. He's like the star of the promotion, and you got the big-time star coming in to wrestle against him. It's just fucking crazy how he puts this guy up and builds him up to the next level makes him seem like a big deal um the four-way that he has in chile did you ever end up seeing that with matt seidel uh yeah i think so yeah that's another crazy one where again i talk about you started to see that he's a he's like an entity that's bigger and beyond just new japan he's a rock star around the entire world um, Bullet Club tags, of course, always solid. Depends on the setting, how he does. Um, but you know, nothing, uh, nothing to me that really stands out there. Um, New Japan Cup against Ishii. He kind of is starting to form this really cool feud with Ishii that is clearly very important to him to being a big deal. Um, and they have like really great chemistry together, so it's kind of perfect. And I think it even breaks into becoming, uh, the final of the United States tournament because based on him kind of trying to work his own angles online, cause he was politicking for feuding with Ishii. And then I think that the, the company saw how good it was. That's why they turned it into the main event for the, uh, the long beach shows. And that's all based on his kind of mind and him wanting to get that match, which is super fucking cool that he has that kind of foresight and that ability to see. Um, he goes up on the European invasion. Um, this is a little, kind of uh suspect i think to some people the elite um trios matches i thought the one with leo rush ryan smile and shane strickland um was probably the best that's in rev pro um i didn't like it as much as other people but upon rewatching later I, i've started to like it a little bit more but i thought it was a little spotty and ryan smile was typically disappeared as he normally does which feels bad to say now that he's in the hospital <laughs> because like he, he pulled his disappearing act again. Um, but yeah, the, the guy was kind of suspect a lot of times in tag matches. You just wouldn't see him. Uh, from there, they go into Fight Club Pro. I think you were higher on that match than me, Quentin. Did you like the Fight Club Pro Elite Trios match? The strong style? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good. I didn't hate it. I thought it was too much stick. Uh, but, you know, that was the height of British strong style's kind of sticky bullshit. Um, and like, I don't and then know, there's... I don't, like, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't go into that expecting a great match either, because it's, the whole thing is WWE guys versus New Japan guys, and people, it was just cool, so I wasn't expecting a great match either, but it was just fine. Okay, yeah, and then there's the OTT match, which I think pissed off a good amount of people, including Jamesy, pretty big time, uh, they about buried the entire OTT roster and just killed everyone and made them all look like shit, but, you know, that's, uh, that's, Whatever. Um, United States heavyweight title tournament, again, phenomenal. Every match was great, even like against Lethal, I thought it was really good. Um, just showing off his uh, showing off his skills, his ability to work with Elgin is like one of his becoming one of his like good uh, 
chemistry guys in New Japan. Ishii's one of his good chemistry guys in Japan. Him and Lethal actually had a really great match in a Jersey All Pro early, early on in Kenny Omega's career that uh, kind of put him on the map in some ways, put both guys on the map, actually, when they were very young. So it was cool to see them get to mix it up in a totally different setting with a different title on the line. But uh, it was probably it was honestly probably better when they were younger, actually. Um, but yeah, the uh, that was interesting. There's the the Okada time limit draw. Um, that was probably my favorite of their matches so far. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about the Okada Omega matches? Uh, I don't, I don't think they're that good, honestly. So I don't know. Okay, not a big fan of the Okada Omega matches. No, nah, not one bit. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, amazing in the G1 again, as always. Um, great matches with everyone, even. Like kind of layered kayfabe that fucking pissed even me off when I heard about it. Then I watched the match and I was like, oh, he's like actually doing this on purpose with the Kojima thing of like not wanting to take off his shirt. And people are, oh, he's wearing the house show gear and all this. But if you watch the match, it's very clearly meant to be about him being disrespectful to to a legend that way. So it's like it's not just that he's being lazy. Um, great match with Yano in the oh, tournament. I, I actually, like the Tama match a lot. That was that was where I was going. He's keeping all of his matches fresh by adding in his own storylines, including the Tamatanga match. That's like crazy good. Um, love the match with Suzuki. Uh, I, the match with Evil, I thought I think could have been better, but Evil was kind of dogging it this year, honestly. And Evil, um, I think Evil kind of got fucked by one of those V triggers, so uh, it made that's true. it made the finish like a little difficult to pull off. Which, granted, I thought Omega somehow lifting Evil up. But for the one-winged angel, with no help from evil, was pretty nuts. It's pretty impressive, I'll give you that. But I, I wasn't liking the match even before yeah, that, yeah. honestly. I, I just, again, I think evil was missing missing something. Last year he was a lot better. The Juice Robinson match was just fucking scary good, honestly. Um, I could have had that been the final of the tournament and been happy. But then you get the actual final against... Uh, um, against Naito that's just like what the fuck um he has his third match with Okada in the G1 obviously another amazing match this one's probably my second favorite of their matches and uh yeah leads into the United States title match with Juice that's again um fucking phenomenal and could have been the main event of the G1 as I said just those two somehow are so great together um Yoshihachi match in ROH that everyone's talking shit about until they watch and then they love it. Um, and then the United States title match with Beretta, which is just like another one that just this meeting of two of the current greats, two of the best doing it right now, come together to have this just knockout amazing match. But uh, yeah, so for me, I think a lot of his case is that he had three of the greatest matches of all time in one year against Okada. Um, he then also turned around and had really, really good matches with a bunch of other guys kind of mixing it up and... I think some people might think like all he is is the Okada matches, but I mean his tag stuff is still there's some stuff there. Um, he's definitely limiting himself somewhat just because you gotta like you you just have to be smart and limit yourself when you're this level of important to a company like New Japan. Um, and yeah, he shows up at PWG and pops a house so big that I can't even get tickets to the show. So uh, fuck you for that one, Kenny. Uh, I liked seeing you back in PWG in the day, though, so it's cool. <laughs> I understand that new people need to see you, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, I uh, like I said, I went into this year 
you know, it's it's Kenny, it's my guy. And by the end of the year, I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is, but uh, I think I love him more than the old Kenny Omega, honestly. Uh, yeah, I rem- I remember a lot of people thinking Kenny Omega didn't have that great of a G1, and I don't know, I looked at the variety he had and the kind of stories he was telling each different night with the zip with it, with the, um, with his opponents, and I was kind of confused, honestly. Like, yeah, he wasn't having these blow-away matches every single show, but if you're going to praise somebody like a Juice Robinson for having, like, consistent stories and being able to, like, have narratives throughout all of his matches and not just being some, uh, go out there and hit each other for 10, 15 minutes like Ishii, then Kenny Omega is giving you stories. It may not be something as consistent as selling a limb, which is, which is something that just, you know, ticks off that box for a lot of people, but Kenny Omega was giving you stories in the G1 on top of having really good matches. Uh, you mentioned the Yokata stuff. Look, I think the Dominion match is the best match literally to happen ever. So you're not going to get much of an argument from me. Um, I think that I think the uh, final with Naito was excellent. I think uh, the Suzuki match from Kurokin Hall was very good and um, better than AJ Styles versus Minoru Suzuki. Uh, there, I said it on that one. I think... Uh, the juice match um, for the title could have been better, but I enjoyed it a lot still. I thought the Trent match from King of Pro Wrestling, I mean, with Power Struggle, was very good. Hmm. I thought his run on the uh, Long Beach shows was very good. I don't think you mentioned this match, but uh, Kenny Omega versus Jay Lethal, I thought was fantastic stuff. One of the best Jay Lethal matches I've seen in years. Um, something on paper why I wasn't sure how it would work. And it turned out to be a great match. Great matches with Ishii. Great matches with Elgin. Uh, So yeah, it's not just the Okada matches with this guy. It's the fact that he makes anything interesting, I think. Um, He can turn his house show tights into a story and have a great match with Satoshi Kojima um, because of it. Or working with Sonata. Or working with Evil and making that match work somehow, even if I don't love that match. Uh, The Maru Suzuki stuff. Um, he has the same problems like most New Japan guys have, and that's you have a few t- big title matches and then everything everything else is crammed into the G1, but when your high-end stuff is some of the best matches of all time to me, then I kind of like, I can't like, uh, sh- um, shortchange you on your um, placing on a list. Yeah, I mean, that's it, and, uh... Yeah, I think the I think the biggest argument for him is the stuff that people aren't watching. So that was your five and my four, right? All right. So uh, my four is Walter. I have him at number three. All right. So, <laughs> so <do> again. <laughs> it's the same thing again. Who do you want me to go first, or? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. All right. So Walter, I've talked about tournament stuff. I've talked about who's in all the tournaments. I've talked about who's your tournament MVP, but I think Walter has one tournament this year that he had the best tournament performance out of anyone, I think, that you could, like, yeah, he just did. Uh, 16 Carat was the Walter show. WXW is the Walter show. Uh, Quickly, people around the world are finding out about Walter and wanting him on their shows, so he's starting to show up in progress more. He's starting to show up in PWG. He's showing up in in Beyond. He's showing up in WXW, and he's got people just salivating, begging for dates with Walter. And 
he's smart enough to not give them what they want. Um, the great thing about Walter is if you have WXW now, you can see almost every one of his matches. Um, you're not going to miss anything really if you just have WXW now. It's not that expensive. It's on Vimeo. It streams like a dream. It has a great Roku app. It uh, the only I guess the only issue is it doesn't save your place on the show if you pause it. Whatever, deal with it. Um, the thing about Walter is, with that said, I've heard people talk about like Daniel Bryan being one of the first wrestlers where you have every one of his matches for his career on tape, pretty much, and you can see him from the beginning of the career all the way until the end, and just see how good he is. Walter, with the WXW now and so many of their shows being taped, you can see the dude's entire career and see that he never dogs it. He gives 100% in every fucking match. He is – it's another one where he has his character. He has his simple offense style that really works with what he's doing that makes it so he can give that same knockout fucking drag out performance every night uh, without having to worry about if he's you know if he's up to it because it's really just big guy, doesn't sell a lot, smacks the fuck out of people – Locks in some awesome holds, rolls around, throws some dudes around. He's just the most amazing at it. I talked about it a few years ago uh, that he's the closest thing we have to like Andre the Giant. He has that that aura of being bigger than anyone else around. He's the just not, and not just bigger size wise, but bigger in every way. He looks down upon everyone around him. He doesn't respect anyone except for I guess his uh, main squeeze, Timothy Thatcher, seems to be the only person that he shows any respect for. Um, as he just kind of looks down on the crowd, he's just got this smug, just kind of contempt for the fans, for every other wrestler. And like I said, he just has these killer matches, uh, riddle with Ilya Dragunov probably ends up being my match of the year for the 16 karat final, the drama, the violence, the heroic underdog story. I mean, it's, there's too much there. One of the best things to happen to him this year also um, and it's not just the feud with David Starr, which is actually fucking phenomenal as well, um, is Axel Dieter Jr. getting signed to WWE, which might seem crazy to some people, but I think that the ring comp tag team matches of Axel and Walter were good, but the stuff with Thatcher and Walter has become transcendent. Um, these guys get each other so good. They understand each other through and through. They have each other's backs in every way. They fight each other in one of the best matches of the year in uh, at the the inner circle match um, before the tag league that was just fucking crazy ambition rules. They just kill each other there. I also think um, it's, I think it's better than any match in ambition, honestly. Yeah, I would, I could, I could definitely see that. I like the Thatcher Cobb match a lot, but I'd have to watch him back to back, but you're probably not wrong there. Um, he shows up in Bola. He has a great match with Keith Lee and then he turns around and he's in the comedy 10 man tag. But this year, they really limited the comedy in a way that worked. I loved – that was one thing I really loved about him in that comedy match is he didn't let himself be a joke. He was involved in comedy, but he never kind of bastardized the Walter character as comedy. Uh, he's such a big deal that they bring him in for Dijak's final match and beyond, which is really fucking cool to kind of give him that send-off. Um, yeah, I just the, – the Walter versus Yeehaw match and Evolve is fucking crazy. Uh, the match with Ricochet and PWG just recently. Um, the guy is, and then the match with Saber and PWG, which is obviously fucking nuts. Um, great matches with David Starr every time. Great tag team matches every time. Uh, 
the the tag league this year was like ten times better than it's ever been before, just because of ring comp. Honestly, um, the guy. I mean, I guess massive product was also really good too. But uh, yeah, the guy is just. I mean, something special. Uh, he's the ring general, and yeah, he's my number three this year. He's your number four. So let's hear what's your number three. Um, just so oh, actually, just... <laughs> how about let you talk about Walter? Yeah, yeah. Um, just so I can get some stuff in on Walter. Um. I've loved Walter for a very long time now. Um, I think he's one of the best wrestlers of the, of the decade, and he's going to go down as one of the best wrestlers of all time. And I'm glad that 2017 is the year where everyone realized that, oh, man, where has this guy been this whole fucking time? And, like, I'm not going to, like, do I told you so and be like, where have you guys been and do all that kind of shit. I'm just glad that people are watching Walter, and he has stepped up properly with more eyeballs on him. He's working more motivated, I think. Which is insane to say because I think Walter always um, busts his ass in, t- in matches. Um, but tag matches, uh, Fatal Four Ways, um, like the WXW title one, or like the one for the W, um, like the one for the uh, WWN title. So great singles matches, great tournament runs, great tag team matches, great stuff on Shotgun TV, great stuff in big main events, uh, stuff against Chris Cole and Ilya Dragunov, Marius Alani. Thatcher, David Starr, um, uh, Ivan Cleave, or uh, Keeve, or however you say his name, uh, Yarn Simmons. He just has great matches with anybody you can think of. Uh, I don't think it's possible for Walter to have a bad match. Honestly, if you, unless you put him in some stupid situation, I don't know if it's possible for Walter to have a bad match. And even when put in a weird situation, like having to do a handicap match, um, with Christian Michael Jacoby and um, going up against Kim Ray, I thought that match was pretty damn good for a handicap match where one of those guys isn't even a wrestler. So I just feel like Walter is foolproof. You can't do anything to make Walter not great. Um, he is like the best at the basic things in wrestling. He has like the best big boot, the best chop, the best clothesline. Um, all the best big... earthquake splash. <laughs> like... Have you noticed how many more people are doing the earthquake splash since Walter has gotten popular? Yeah, and how I, I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that like once Walter and Dragonov happened, that people really started getting into like you know leaving handprints on people's chest in their chop exchanges. But yeah, I just think Walter has had a phenomenal year, a breakout year, um, a year that longtime WXW fans have been waiting for, and he has just delivered at every turn. And I see, I don't see any way he slows down and is probably a favorite for 16 karat on 2018. Yeah, and I mean, probably a favorite for continuing to be preeminently in this top, you know, three spots, top five for wrestlers each year. But now I'm thinking about it, I feel like we probably both definitely have the same. There's two guys that we both definitely have, but you got three guys left. And I can't think of who the, who this third person is. Are you going to swerve me and you got the big dog in here? You got Roman Reigns number one or what's going on? <laughs> I think I, I think we're both – I think it's going to be another one where we have – my number three is your number two. Um, so hey. my number three is Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, that's my number two. All right, let's do See, this. See, I'm one. wondering what your number two is now. That's my thing. Yeah. Um, but we got to talk about Thatcher first, right? Um. Yeah, after – after that 2016, in which a lot of people turned on Thatcher, Renault, his title reign failed, he's not having good matches, the crowd doesn't care, and all that shit, you know, that's all out the window in 2017. 
literally in the like by the time he first shows up in 2017 in that tag match against Catchpoint with Jeff Cobb in that Jeff Cobb match in January um um the Fred Yehi match in February the Zack Sabre Jr. title switch in February he is off and running throughout the entire year and I don't think he stops at any point you cannot say that Timothy Thatcher wasn't having great matches this year I don't believe you I can go down every single. <laughs> I, I I can't. I, I don't believe yeah. you. Like we it's can go. The, the Thatcher, the fucking narrative, the myth of the terrible Timothy Thatcher is just laughable this year. And uh, you skipped over. I mean, two the first his first match of the year. I I met live. I think that it, some people don't like it. I thought it was great. Joe Graves match it wasn't their best match, but I thought it was really good. And his great match with Gideon Gray in a Rev Pro. But yeah, like this. This fucking narrative that Timothy Thatcher is somehow bad in 2017 becomes like just a complete laughing stock. If you think that Timothy Thatcher isn't one of the best wrestlers on the planet, there's something probably wrong with you. You just have a hard on against the guy because you didn't like him in, in Evolve for some reason. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, I've said if you're still bashing Timothy Thatcher in 2017, you probably haven't seen a Thatcher match in 2016. Um, and even then, I'm someone that's liked the guy for years. But even I can be like, wow, this is a career year. This guy showed a lot of growth. This guy showed a lot of range. This guy showed a lot of emotion and character and depth and variety. And things that maybe people didn't expect, they didn't think he could do, honestly. People thought he was some emotionless robot. Emotionless is always funny when it comes to Timothy Thatcher, since he is one of the best um, facial sellers in all of wrestling, probably one of the best ever. But still, people thought he was just some kind of emotionless robot. And here he goes from being this um, stone-faced champion trying to uphold honor and do things the right way to being this sneering, smirking, arrogant asshole by the end of his run in Evolve. And I thought that led to um, great crowd dynamics, great crowd interactions, a more motivated Timothy Thatcher Timothy Thatcher trying things that we haven't really seen him try before. Him having matches with different guys. Great matches with Austin, with Austin, with Austin, Steer, Austin, the um, Austin Theory, Darby Allen, Jason Kincaid. Obviously, Zack Sabre Jr., Fred Yehi, um, Chris Dickinson. Like, having matches with guys you would not particularly expect Timothy Thatcher to have great matches with. But he did. Um, going to progress and having a really, really good match against Douglas Williams. I thought the match was. I thought the match with Strangler Davis was actually pretty good, considering the fact that I don't think Strangler Davis has been particularly impressive um, since the re since the um, re gimmicking. Um, well, as the Strangler, but it, I was gonna say he what he's done. You talked about Yehi Saber. Those like the matches that are supposed to be good are good, but where he's impressing me is the matches that aren't necessarily supposed to be good. The match with James Davis before he was Strangler Davis, I thought was phenomenal. Match with Daryl Allen, both those happened in progress early in the year and were really good. Match with Francis Caspian, it's like he has good matches. The match with PJ Black, I thought was really good. It's like that's where it's coming in, the Gideon Gray I mentioned. He's having great matches with the guys that you don't expect him to have great matches with. And a big one, which I assume you were going to bring up, is the match with Daniel Makabe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah, Daniel Makabe match from 3-2-1, which is excellent and emotional as a hot crowd, which destroys the myth that Timothy Thatcher wrestling brings in a dead crowd. Um, yeah, it, it's, 
it's really it's on the bookers it's on you know it really is on his booking and his placement i think more than anything i think if you let him do what he's going to do you place it in the right setting i think he gets over and he does get great emotions from the crowd it just you got to let him do his thing um i didn't even mess um i think mentioned the ach match from wrestlemania weekend like the guy is so good. We haven't even gotten to WXW. We haven't even gotten to the Ambition Run. We haven't even gotten to him um, facing um, Koji Kanemoto and facing Ilya Dragunov or um, facing Francis Caspian at um, Inner Circle or um... or breaking the ring with Matt Cross. <laughs> One of, a moment of the year, if nothing else. The match was fine, but the ring breakage and the Thatcher dance was just fucking amazing. <laughs> um, when he transitions into being a um walter's full-time tag team partner and we're getting great matches in the um, wxw tag league obviously um the walter match from inner circle is really good um the match with bobby guns is really good um the match with alexander james is really good like to me um i didn't even mention the john schuyler match that i liked a lot from pwx like oh um, yeah there's just so many fucking great timothy thatcher match the matches um Against Zach Gibson and Matt Riddle that are really good too from Rev Pro. Like, I just don't see how you could still be a Timothy Thatcher just ardent hater in 2017. It just has to be you have not watched it and you just have this image stuck in your head of what Timothy Thatcher is. But I guarantee you that is not accurate. This guy is entertaining. This guy is charismatic. This guy is variety. He just had a fucking no disqualification match with, um, Walter going up against Jackson Stone and Bobby Guns, in which this guy wrestles the rest of the rest of the match with a thumbtack stuck in the bridge of his nose, and takes wild bumps oh. throughout the entire rest of the match. Like you oh, can't man. you can't tell me that Thatcher did have a great 2017 because I'm going to assume you did not watch a single fucking thing he did, and I'm tired of it. And I'm glad Thatcher had such a great rebound year and the best year of his career. But I'm hoping that 2017 puts all the shit to rest because I'm tired of this Thatcher and um, he's bad and he ruined Evolved and he tanked and all this shit that people threw out there. Blame the fucking Booker, not the guy that's out there trying his best to make something work. It's not his job to write the goddamn stories. It's his job to go out there and wrestle. Okay, and I I made this point, and this is completely fucking separate, but I made this point already in the chat before, but I just want to put it out there in the public for these motherfucks who trying to argue that Thatcher was this drag on Evolve and all this. Okay, numbers aside, because I don't think it's fair to try to compare Evolve numbers in any way based on drawing and all this, because they essentially build their entire business model off of a connection with Flow Slam and WWE. So, like, metrics, numbers, making money, all of that is out the window. But just straight-up online buzz... I would say that ever since Thatcher dropped the title, people are talking less and less about Evolve. And that's even including Evolve doing big shows with Progress that everyone makes a big fucking deal about how great Progress is. But when Progress comes in and they're running shows in doubleheader weekends with Evolve, Progress is outdrawing Evolve and no one gives a shit about Evolve. And I... I'm not saying it's 100% on Thatcher not being the main guy anymore, but I am saying it's a metric that you could look at, and if you're going to sit there and try to argue that Thatcher was this terrible thing for the company, turn around and tell me why that is. Why is it that when he disappears, when he gets downgraded, people aren't talking about it. People aren't caring about his evolve as much as they were before. Like, realistically, I don't think you can just say that, like, oh, he was so terrible, because the company wasn't falling apart when he was on top. 
you know, and that does have to do with business deals and stuff in the back and all these politics. But you can't really try to blame the company doing bad when he was on the top on him then because clearly who's the top guy in the company is not what's affecting that stuff for Evolve. So it's just it's a laughable narrative to try to push on the guy. Yeah, and like I said, like and like that's a double standard there. If you're gonna like hammer down on Thatcher and Evolve for um, Thatcher being the reason why you think interest is low and Evolve as at a certain point, Evolve's interest hasn't been any lower. And when you know that there's other things going on, then you attribute it to that stuff. So I don't yeah. get how you can attribute that to Thatcher just because you don't like him. That's just clear bias. You know, I love Zack Saber Jr. We're gonna talk about him later, but. You know, if you wanted to make that case, you'd be like, oh, why is Evolve tanking when Zack Sabre Jr. is on top? You can reach and make stupid narratives like that if you want to just because you don't like a guy. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, you talked about all the matches. He's been in, I mean, many, many of my favorite matches this year. Um, Some of the best matches this year just without even, like, kind of putting that value judgment on personal opinion. Just there's no way not to argue that that they were great matches. And I, I said... What it really comes down to this year for him, it's not about that he's having great matches with, you know, Zack Saber Jr., Keith Lee, um, Fred Yehi, even Walter, the people who you expect. I mean, he's having great matches with literally everyone he Jason gets in the Kincaid, ring with. Austin Theory, Darby Allen, yes. Chris Dickinson, ACH, <laughs> El Phantasmo, like. like Gideon Gray, these people are not considered and, and big-time isn't, deals. And this isn't the shit talk Daniel Makabe, who's, from what I've seen, has had a very good year himself and is a very talented wrestler. So I'm not saying to slow yeah. him down, but Daniel Makabe, a guy people don't know and have never heard of, and he goes up there and has some like a match I gave four and a half stars with that guy in a, in a promotion that most people don't know about? Come on, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's just... He's there's just something about his style, and what it really comes down is to realism, believability, uh, you know, his kind of uh, commitment to his character. It's all the reasons why his matches are always so goddamn good because they're always believable. You always buy into him, and you're always, uh, yeah, you're always get behind the guy. So I mean, there's, I don't know that there's much more to say about Thatcher here. Um, I think we hopefully put it to rest. If you got a problem with Thatcher, still, let's just keep your mouth closed. Um, talk about it in your in your private blogs or something. Let's not put it out on Twitter because uh, you're just making yourself look foolish at this point. All right, and my number two, uh, yeah, the number five is Kazuchika Okada. Okay, so that's what it was. I forgot that you hadn't done Okada yet. So, I mean, Okada for me was phenomenal, obviously, in most of his matches. Um, most of his big singles matches. I guess my issue is just that I wasn't paying attention to a lot of his other stuff, uh, tag matches and things like that. So to me, his resume was so small that I couldn't put him above Kenny and I couldn't get Kenny above, you know, the people who I have as my top three. So to me, it's like those really great matches with Kenny Omega, really great match with Suzuki. He was solid in the G1, I thought, but um, realistically against lower opponents, he didn't have a real standout for me where he was bringing someone up like the same way that Kenny did. Um, And I think that outside of that, uh, there just wasn't much else there. The Shibata match, um, obviously very good, but hard to judge, hard to revisit, hard to even think about at this point. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where he's at for me, unfortunately. Um, I do think he's probably 
like you what do you have him number three number two who you have him number two yeah, yeah. He, he could be the number two most talented wrestler in the world um that's probably true but for me i uh, just didn't have enough there to really sink my teeth into but you know tell me why i'm wrong please um it's not even like you're necessarily wrong because you have him at number five out of every single wrestler that's competed in 2017 um but I always say that usually I'm not the guy that's going to have a New Japan person super high because there's only a handful of matches to go off of. And when there's other people that have 30, 25, even more matches that I can go to and be like, okay, this was really good. This was great. That I'm, I just can't rationalize putting a New Japan guy above them. That being said, Okada has multiple times had some of the matches I think are some of the best matches of all time. And that's just not get, uh, not against Kenny Omega. Um, obviously, obviously, the big elephant in the room is the Katsuri Shibata match from Tokyo Genesis. I just rewatched it recently, and I still think that's a great match. Excellent match. Going to be in my top five of the year. I think the Minoru Suzuki match from the G1 Climax is just as good. I think he was the best guy in the G1 Climax. People talked about Juice Robinson having a clear, concise story in... Juice had good matches, sometimes great matches too, but Okada had both in spades, having great matches and a clear story. Um, great matches against Elgin, um, Kojima, Juice, Evil. Um, obviously, your bigger name like a Kenny Omega and Minoru Suzuki, but the guy also told the clear story of him eventually just getting worn down. Everything has everything has finally gotten to him. Going 47 minutes at the Dome with Kenny Omega. Going 40 minutes with Shibata. Going 60 minutes with um with Kenny Omega. Going like 30 minutes with Tiger Mask W, which was a really good match. That had a whole bunch of underlying stories that um didn't really get to play out in 2017, but left good nuggets um, for future use. Um, I think the story of his neck. And eventually his neck just gave out. And that's what gave Evil the advantage in the way to beat him in his first G1 loss. Eventually, his neck being so fucked up that he's selling it the entire Minoru Suzuki match. His neck being so bad that Kenny Omega spends the entire third match of their series going after it and trying to kill him. Uh, I think the evil match at King of Pro Wrestling, while it wasn't looked at as a big-time deal because no one ever, no one in their right mind thought evil was ever sort of chance against Okada, I, was, I still think that's a pretty damn good match. His match against Foley is pretty damn good. His match against Cody from Long Beach is really damn good and ha- actually has one of the best crowds in that happened in all 2017 wrestling. Um, being so pro-Okada and being so anti-Cody. I think when you have multiple matches that I think are some of the best matches of all time, one that is literally the best match of all time to me, you were the best guy in G1 and you're on your way to having one of the best title reigns of all time. And really, he solidified it already. And if he loses the title at um, Wrestle Kingdom Naito, I think he'll firmly have one of the best title reigns that have ever happened. Uh, I had to put him at number two. There was no way with how good his output has been, how good his quality has been, having the best performance of a, performances of his career. Um, I thought the Shibata match up until the Minoru Suzuki match was the best Shibata, was the best Okada performance I've ever seen. He was selling tremendously, sitting up to Shibata. Um, just being tough and enduring everything that this ass kicker was throwing at him. 
And then in the Minoru Suzuki match, he's selling his neck and is matching crazy for crazy with Minoru Suzuki, which is a hell of a feat. Talking shit to Satoshi Kojima throughout the entire match and playing a heel. Being a dismissive prick to Juice Robinson. This guy just gave you it all. He showed death. He showed variety as much as you can in New Japan. And I feel like this was just an undeniable year for Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, um, he was fantastic this year. Um, like I said, I, I'm i with you. I think I just didn't get into it as much to be able to jump over that hurdle of not having much else outside of um, New Japan to, you know, outside of the big couple of singles matches of the year. Uh, that said, um, I think that he, uh, he definitely had a banner year for him and has kind of, I think, dismissed any questions of him as a top New Japan champion or a top IWGP champion of all time. Um, any questions people have for him as a top New Japan guy of all time, I think are starting to dissipate. I think a couple of years ago it was crazy when people were comparing him to all-time legends, but I think we're getting close to time to start talking about him in that conversation um, just because he continues to have banner years like this. He continues to show more and more. Um, and I could see him being even higher next year, which I, I don't know if there's too many other people – um, in my top 10 who I say the same thing about. Like I think uh, there's a few guys in my top 10 this year who essentially I think may have had a real peak year with a lot of things coming together to cause them to have really standout performances that may start to dwindle. Um, and I think that Okada is in a spot where I think he will continue to grow because New Japan clearly has underneath guys that are ready to bubble up to the top. Um, I said this a while back when he was when Okada was in the middle of his uh, feuding with Tanahashi that uh, he's having these super impressive matches. But what's going to be the telltale sign of his career is when he's done feuding with the older guys and he's starting feuding with the guys that are his age because he's already you know three or four years ahead of everyone else from his generation. Um, so he's going to start to get there where guys his age are going to start feuding more regularly with him, and it's going to be a uh, a really interesting story to see when he's no longer the the young punk on the scene but he's actually the established older guy on the scene um i think that that was your number two i think uh, we both have the same number one i mean uh, I, yeah, I that's not a secret like <laughs> i don't know it's kind of crazy though because i think last year i had him number three i think you had him number one last year right or did you have him number two i had number one you had him number one last year i think this year um he just had it coming. I don't know. You want to say it? You can say it. This is your show. I mean, yeah, number one on both of our lists is Zack Sabre Jr. And I don't know about you, but I feel like it just wasn't even close. And this isn't like to say, like, you know, Thatcher was my number three. It was like a landslide, and he wasn't ever going to be my number one. Or someone like Fred Yehai, who was my number one at one point during the year, didn't have a chance. But by the time we got to, like, October, November, it was like, okay, like, it, like it's not close anymore. Like, we like we know who it is. Yeah, I think, um, I think by the end of G1, um, I was pretty much set in my way of, that it was going to be him. Um, I think Bola helped to make it 100% clear. But I think 
with the career, with the year that he was already having, and then when he showed me that he was just as good as all the New Japan guys in the G1, plus essentially he he did what keeps Omega and Okada from jumping up higher on the list, which is he had the G1 matches in the G1, or the New Japan matches in the G1, and then he also had a fuck ton of other great singles matches all over the place. And, I mean, that's it. That's not even to say that, you know, Okada, uh, Naito, Omega couldn't do the same thing, but they just don't. And that's where it comes down to is you have to grade the year on what actually happened. Um, this is the the Carl Mann Memorial section of the podcast, obviously, <laughs> where we both uh, praise Zack Sabre Jr. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, by, by the end of G1, when I thought that he very clearly was in the top five of performers for the entire tournament, at least, uh, that's where, yeah, my, my essentially my decision was going to be made because it's, it's like... He showed he's just as good as everyone there. He showed that he's basically the best on the indies in America. He showed that he's basically the best on the indies in the UK. So He can go to Mexico and have up, arguably the best match that's happened in Mexico this year. Yeah, this, this, he showed this, up in Mexico. This is what I was saying um, yesterday. We had some big discussion in Slack chat about why Zack Sabre Jr. would be both of our number ones. And one thing I said is that, to me, this guy has the best tag match that's happened in wrestling this year. Arguably, you can make a case for, you know, take your pick of any singles match he had in the U.S. this year and be like, okay, that was the best match of the year in the U.S. Arguably the best match in the year with the, in the U.K. And depending on how you feel about his G1 stuff, maybe maybe something with Ibushi. Like, you could say he's had, like, four different, like, areas where he could have had, like the like, the best match of the year. Right. And he, I'm fucking pissed off that we're not able to see this, but it looks like he just went on a pretty awesome-looking tour of the U.K., um, yeah, or not UK of Australia mm-hmm. that just ended facing, Rico- facing Ricochet um, and Jonah Rock and Robbie Eagles. So hopefully, yeah, that stuff like some of that stuff goes up. But because yeah. those could all be match of the year level contenders as well. I mean, so. keep on, we're, we're saying all this and how many great matches he's had, and arguably like the best one based on like the buzz coming out is the Walter match from All Star Weekend 13, and we don't even have that yet. Right, that's not on tape yet, which is. Which is sad as well. I mean, but I'm, you and me both knowing that uh, he's had these phenomenal fucking Walter matches before and that it clearly looked like they turned it up. I mean, yeah. His case is, I think it speaks for itself. It's, it's almost over, hard. It's, to... o- it's overwhelming. Like, I could, we could literally just sit here and go through his cage match and list off every single person he's faced and nobody even comes close. We can go... ACH, Ooh. Timothy Thatcher, yeah. um, Keith Lee, Jaka, Pentagon, Michael Elgin, Jimmy Havoc, Mark Haskins, Mike Quackenbush, Dick Togo, Travis Banks, <laughs> Leo Rush, uh, <laughs> Negro Navarro, Angelico, Extreme Tiger, RJ Singh, <laughs> RJ Singh, Speedball Mike Bailey, Gabriel Kidd, David Starr, Trent, Ethan Page, <laughs> like Jack Sexsmith, uh. um, he had a match um in Blitzkrieg Pro against Joey Janela that we didn't get to see, but apparently the people that that were there said it was really good. I really liked him versus Matt Fisher from AAW against Rory oh, Gulak, yeah. um Matt Riddle obviously against Juice Robinson against Ishi against Chuck Taylor, uh against Tanahashi against Abushi against um I like the Naito match a lot. I like the Yuji Nagata match a lot. I like his rematch with Ishi. Um. 
God, being like the, I think, a top five guy in the G1. His match with Chris yeah. Brooks. I really loved his match with Will Ospreay from uh, Global Wars Night 2. I thought he was great. Um, well, I thought the Chris Hero match from Evolve 77 and Chris Hero's last indie match was fucking fantastic. Against Ray Phoenix in the second round of the Battle of, of, Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, God, I loved that match. Like, we, I love like, that we match could fight. keep going, and this is fucking nuts. Um, the Kushida match from Rev Pro, the Jay Lethal match from from uh, uh, what culture? Uh, God damn, like it just keeps going with this guy, and that's what I'm saying is that like it's not just a whole bunch of great matches; it's a whole bunch of great matches with so many goddamn different people. Like, you could say maybe last year he had, like, so many, like, series with a whole bunch of people, with Hero, with Gresham, with Osprey, with whoever, that, like, him repeating opponents so much kind of dwindles his case. But you cannot say that this year because legitimately he's had really good to great matches, in my opinion, with, like, 30 fucking people, maybe more. And that's insane to me, and that's not even counting the tag matches that he's had. And that's not even counting, like, being, like, an awesome heel in being a very good fiery baby face when, he, when he's in a position to be and having great like brawls and hate-filled and angry matches or having still these great um smart technical wrestling bouts or having these great tag matches or great main event singles matches or great exhibition style matches like this guy fucking has it all like i don't know what to say like it was run away like like you said by august and i was being generous by saying like october or november like you could even go further back than that. Like there was nobody that was on his level by the time the year just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's been said, it might've been by Brock or it might've been by Simon. I can't remember who either one of them is kind of trying to have their almost uh, kind of, you know, too cool for everybody's common picks, whatever thing, essentially saying Zack Sabre Jr. Is clearly the robotic soulless pick of the year if you're just going based on pure numbers and and great matches with varied opponents and this combination that me and you are putting together but i think that this is the one year that you cannot even come close to trying to make that argument with him his range of emotion in matches was insane it looks like just his, like look at his emotional matches like the chuck taylor title win and pushing yes. and pushing forward back or when he wins the title at evolve um at evolve um uh, 79 or in the hero um, finale at Evolve 77. It's a whole bunch of emotional ass matches. His it, feud with, or his kind of rivalry with Leo Rush shows his ability to be a overbearing veteran, but still a face. The Ethan, his the entire Ethan, run. The, the Ethan Page stuff showed that like, once he gets pushed and someone is fucking with him and is not showing him the proper respect he deserves and is like... Um, testing his patience that he is liable to lose it and not just try to like have a technical wrestling match he's going to brawl and lose his temper right and then i turn around and the the other side of the leo rush he has the same type of match in a totally heelish way against trent bank or travis banks in fight club pro he's the over overbearing vet against leo rush he's the overbearing vet against travis banks but he tells two totally different stories. One is with respect and honor. One is with being a fucking complete asshole and a dick. Like, he just... I don't see... There's no way to argue that anymore, that somehow he's this emotionless guy who just... He's technically very sound. and He puts insane amounts of emotion. He's showing a wide swing oh, of emotions between different emotions. places. I think the fact that every single time he loses, 
he throws a goddamn temper tantrum. And I'm not making this up. If you watch him versus Gabriel Kidd, or watch him lose to Negro Navarro, or um, watch him when Chris Brooks pin or makes him tap out at the cockpit show, or when Will o- or when Will Ospreay pins him at the um, Rev Pro Portsmouth show, he throws goddamn temper tantrums when he loses. He is angry. He's upset. There aren't that many wrestlers that when they lose, they are visibly upset at the fact they lost. Most of them just roll out the ring, hold their neck, and go to the back. Zack Sabre Jr. is angry, he's cursing, he's flipping people off, and he is fucking upset that he lost. Because he's the best wrestler in the world, and he is outraged that he let something like this happen to him. How many other wrestlers actually show that kind of emotion when they lose a match? Yeah, and his his pissed off assassin style character in uh new japan has been completely different than you've really seen him do anywhere yeah, I like, else i like the shibata match from the um the anniversary show a lot i like the hiroki yes. Goto match a lot um like, he, even when he's like not even in something important like facing um god jimmy havoc and like the opener of progress in orlando they're having a really damn good match um john silver and beyond um, the tag match with Zach, um, with, um, Zach and Gresham going up against Doom Patrol is really damn good. He faced fucking, like, a Gracie brother that I forgot happened. And, and <laughs> oh, fuck, him. I don't remember that. Yeah, he faced a fucking Gracie, and that was, like, pretty good, too. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, versus... Oh, yeah, that was in what culture? Yes. Mm-hmm. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kyle O'Reilly in AEW. Um, God. Oh, that match was great. <laughs> yeah, two... I mean, there's just so many great matches to talk about. Um, so wide variety of everything. I mean, uh, the, didn't even mention the Johnny Kid Invitational against Rory Gulak and Quackenbush. Second match against Quackenbush that was fantastic. Oh, I didn't even mention um, like, he has he has an IPW like tag run. We're seeing with Jimmy Havoc and he's facing yes! um guy like the London Riots and the Lucha Brothers, and those are fucking awesome tag matches. <laughs> yeah, the Jimmy's Army stuff in IPW was like the best stuff going on in there when uh. When, when IPW was first starting to air on Flow Slam, and it was just like amazing, amazing stuff that he was carrying essentially that whole promotion with that storyline. Um, yeah, there's just the amount of stuff that he has is just kind of staggering. And then and the then, variance, and then, he, and then he has like legitimate match of the year contenders too. So it's not just a whole bunch of like three and a half, three and three quarter star matches. These are matches that are going to wind up in my top 10 of the year too. Yeah. And I mean, both Chuck Taylor matches, you know what I mean? I don't know where you come down on the Pentagon match, but I think the Pentagon match is probably one of Pentagon's best matches of the year. If not his best match of the year, I think it might might be one of his best matches ever straight up. Yeah. RJ Singh match. He has a match in Chile versus insane. He has a match in Chile versus Ate Mista. That is one of the best crowds in wrestling that I've heard all year. They're excited. And Zack Sabre Jr. is doing stuff that gets the crowd up on their feet. When he hits a penalty kick, the crowd is losing their fucking minds. Like, so to me, all this emotionless shit is, like, kind of insane. Because I'm seeing an entire crowd, like, lose their mind over Zack Zach doing something like a penalty kick. Like, obviously, he's doing something right to get some that, that kind of emotion out of a crowd. Especially in his first time wrestling there. Yeah, I I think the the biggest argument against Zach is that he doesn't have a very big chest. Um <laughs> you know, he's he's kind of he's kind of skinny, but I think he makes up for it. I think he's one of these guys who now has an aura about him that's believable beyond his looks. 
Um, I think he continues to show just how fucking insane he is. And uh, he doesn't look like a baby anymore, which my wife has mentioned the last time she saw him. Because when she first started watching Zack Sabre Jr. with me about, you know, fucking six or seven years ago, she always thought that it was weird that he looked like a child was being allowed to wrestle. Um, He's starting to grow into his man body. So I think uh, as he continues to develop and continues to show this range of abilities, it's going to continue to be more and more impressive. Um, something that I like tossed around um in my brain for a while, as I started to accept that Zack Sabre Jr. was going to be my wrestler of the year two years in a row, is that I don't think there are that many wrestlers ever that I've given like back to back wrestler of the year years. So maybe not. I don't think it's ever happened. I'd have to like go through year by year and see if that ever happens. But I don't know if someone is like this high up on your wrestler of the year list so many times in a row. When do you start to consider them one of the all-time greats? Yeah, I mean, if he has a few more years this good, I think it's it's in that conversation. Because, I mean, to me, he's already kind of shown that he has the capacity to be one of the all-time greats. I think we start to get the longevity. I think that there's this weird argument. I think that the way that we judge wrestling is going to need to change a lot because there's there's really... There's these people who are so kind of stuck in their ways that I think a modern indie draw, a modern indie wrestler in general is never going to be considered one of the all-time greats. While meanwhile, uh, you know, someone from the the kind of the territorial area can, can be considered great. And you're kind of like, well, what's – I mean, what's the difference? I guess the draw was a little bit better, but society as a whole was a lot different. So um, I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of the uh, – the dynamics, the structure for grading on how you consider an all-time great is, I think if you're kind of adjusting for modern times, I think that Zack Sabre Jr. is doing about as good as you can for wrestling right now. And he can't help the fact that he wasn't around 30 years ago. You know, he can only just do what he can do now. Um, the idea to me that generations of wrestlers are going to have their careers essentially kind of held down in the long in like the the pantheon of history but how great they are based solely on the preferences and picadillos of one crazy ass old man is fucking ridiculous so i think that anyone who kind of makes these arguments against modern wrestlers due to their inability to draw and not be on top in wwe are being really really dishonest with themselves acting as if there's some kind of option like Zack Sabre Jr. had his chance. He could have been in WWE if he wanted to, but I think he chose not to because he knew what his level would have been. And it was probably the best choice he could have made. So saying that, well, because he never main evented a top promotion, he should never be considered a big-time star or one of the greatest of all time is kind of fucking ridiculous because right now he is one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And he is clearly, I mean, for both of us, I'm just going to say it. We both have him number one. He's the best wrestler of 2017 so it's like you can't say that he's not he just legitimately is yeah i think we've gotten everything we need to get out the way here um from that to getting uh everything off our chest when it came to timothy thatcher this year uh i think we wrapped up shorter than i expected me too (laughs) yeah but i'm kind (laughs) of glad since usually um i think i'm known for going like four hours so i'm glad that i got to do something a little bit more um breezy so to speak but um 
Thank you for doing this with me again, Sam. Uh, thank you for spending eight hours or more of your time with me discussing professional wrestling. So um, where can people follow you on Twitter? And um, where can they listen to your shows? And what shows do you host? I am co-host of This Week in Wrestling on Pro Wrestling Only. Um, it's the flagship. I'm just going to steal that. We're the flagship show of the network now. Um, no, uh, we're pretty good. We cover modern wrestling. So that's why I'm you know, infinitely uh, kind of skilled and, and talented to be here talking about uh, top wrestlers of 2017 because I actually watch a lot of modern wrestling, unlike some people. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's where you can check that out. Lucha Undead is my kind of uh, pet project podcast with my host, my co-host, uh, Adrian Della Torre. Uh, do some beer talk, do some interviews. Have a lot of fun there. Got an interesting episode coming out soon. Depending on when this comes out, either it came out or it's going to come out soon. But check it out. Got an interview with uh, the guys from San Diego Beer Talk. It is a beer podcast out of San Diego, obviously. Um, a lot of fun talking to them about beer stuff. So check that out if you're into it. Um, I mean, if you're into wrestling and you're not into beer, I guess that's fine. But maybe give it a listen. See what you think. You might like it. Um, other than that, follow me on Twitter at Lucha Undead. Also follow me on Untapped at Lucha Undead. And uh, just get out there and watch some wrestling. And hey, you know what? Number five isn't that bad. <laughs> um, um, now after you know you reaffirmed your blasphemous position on Kazuchika Okada, um, you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. Obviously listen to all three parts of the top 50 wrestlers of 2017. But uh, I'm going to have a regular Psychology is Dead coming out soon. Um going to record it in the middle of, Dece- uh, middle of December with Dylan Harris. Um, going over the idea of golden boys, um, aces, and top guys in professional wrestling, which I think should be really fun. Um, I'm going to use that as sort of a breather, so to speak, um, for the top 100 matches of 2017 that I'm going to be doing with Brock. So if you did not get um, tired of me talking for eight hours about wrestlers and rambling on there, you will not have to, you will not have to hear me talk about 100 matches and chime in on Brock's matches wherever I can. So uh, look forward to 12 hours of that. Thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time.